Welcome to Putting Up Numbers, the podcast about uniform numbers. Here we break down the stories behind the numbers, talk about the all-time greats that made the number iconic, and give you our picks for the Uniform Number Hall of Fame. You can also hit us up at puttingupnumbers.com and give us your picks. I'm Tom Davis here in the City of Angels, and joining me from Big D, if you step to him, he'll think it's funny, because you a Looney Tune, and he's Bugs Bunny. It's Rudy Klanick. Rudy, what's today's number? Today's number is number six. Number six is our number today. But before we get to number six and our very special interview, our awesome interview, I had some late breaking number news to talk about. Late breaking. Very late breaking. Actually, it broke in 1916, Tom. Very late breaking. Yeah. So 104 year old number news. It's 104 years old. But man, I think a lot of people would be interested in knowing how their jersey numbers became jersey numbers, right? So before 1916, there were no jersey numbers until the Indians, Cleveland Indians, decided to put numbers on their sleeves. They had seen it in Australian rules football, of all places. They saw it in the Negro Leagues, and they saw it in hockey. So they said, hey, man, I want to try it. They put them on their sleeves, and guess what? Everybody hated it. The players (laughs) hated it. The media hated it. Fans hated it. And most of all, the owners hated it because they didn't want to add any cost. And putting those numbers on the sleeves, man, it really increased their cost. So they got rid of it. And uh, it it was gone until something called Murderer's Row happened in 1929. The great Yankee team was the first team to bring numbers back. And they also put numbers on their backs. Interesting. So they put numbers based on their batting, uh, where they were batting in the lineup. I mean, they had one through nine were all awesome Hall of Fame talent, obviously the greatest lineup ever. But that's how Babe Ruth was number three and Lou Gehrig was number four. They batted three and four in the lineup. Really fascinating stuff, right? You know, it's interesting that cost was a factor when you consider how much does a number really cost? Like what is it? <laughs> yeah. What was going yeah. on back in the 20s or the, the teens uh, in terms of cost structures? What could sewing a number on the back of a jersey have cost? As the Yankees were the innovators to put numbers on their backs, none of the teams could decide what player got what number until the Reds, Warren Giles, came up with a really interesting idea. So he made all catchers single digits. Infielders were 10 and up. Outfielders were 20 to 30. And then pitchers were 30 and above. You know, that was pretty stable for a long time. It's interesting that the NFL is the only league now that kind of has this uniform jersey number idea of, you know, quarterback quarterbacks can only wear between 10 and 19 and so on and so forth. But baseball started that. That's very interesting. I did not know that. That's why it's numbers news. And, And just as a bonus for numbers news, do you know who came up with the first name on the back of the jersey? I do not, but I hope you're going to tell me. None other than Bill Veck. Really? The uh, the great circus performer for the White Sox that brought us shorts. Eddie Goodell, the midget at the yep. plate, yep. exploding scoreboards. Yeah. Showers in center field, the whole thing. Yeah, his, Showers in center field. His book, it's an oldie but a goldie, but Veck is in wreck. It's been a while since I've read it, but it's a really good book. Well, he saw the future and the future was TV and no one had a scorecard when they're watching on TV. So they needed names on the back. And that's the way it is, Tom. That's uh, numbers news and little Jersey uh, names on the back news as well. But man, let's get to our interview. We had the pleasure of sitting with the great Steve Garvey. Both of us grew up, you know, he was our hero, man. He was, he was my hero as a kid in Florida uh, with his poster above my bed and we got to talk about that. He made fun of us a little bit, which is awesome. And uh, <laughs> he just, he's just a great guy. He still looks like he's 35, honestly, but he is 70 and uh, was an awesome interview. So let's get to it. Yeah, let's do that. He made fun of both of our hairlines, which was totally uncool considering how many times I've been him in wiffle ball in my backyard. But nonetheless, here is the interview complete with making fun of our hairlines. Rudy, myself and number six, Steve Garvey. Rudy and I have pretended to be today's guest in our backyards more times than either of us can count. Steve Garvey played 19 years in the big leagues with the Dodgers and Padres in the 1970s and 80s. He's a 10-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, was the National League MVP in 1974, and won a World Series in 1981. His number six is retired in San Diego, where his dramatic home run in the 1984 NLCS propelled the Padres to their first World Series appearance. 
Since he retired in 1987, he's become a highly sought after public speaker and marketing executive, as well as serving on the board of the Baseball Assistance Team, a nonprofit that helps former players through medical and financial hardships. Folks, hold on to your hats here because you're about to witness a boyhood dream come true for both Rudy and myself. Steve, welcome to Putting Up Numbers. Oh, you kids grow up. I'm telling you. <laughs> and look at you now. Little receding hairline there. But, uh, I'll call my friends at Bosley and we'll get that taken care of. Now, um, thanks for awesome. the great uh, introduction. I'm going to hire you guys when I speak now. But it's got a blessed life and baseball from being a bat boy at the age of seven and spring training in Florida for the Brooklyn Dodgers to, to today. It's been a journey that like I say, I've, I've been blessed to be able to create memories for people, to to be able to touch people and be touched by them in many ways. So uh, it's just great to be with you today. Well, we appreciate it. So let's jump into it here. Number six. How did you end up wearing the number six? Well, it's it's pretty random. Rookies don't get a chance to choose a number as a rule. But because of those early days growing up as a bat boy for the Brooklyn Dodgers, after that first day, I think it was March 29th of 1956, my dad drove a bus for Greyhound. And they liked what dad did that day. And for about six or seven years afterwards, I bat boyed in spring training a couple times. So 12 years later, after that first day out of Michigan State, I'm drafted in the first round by the Dodgers. And somehow the word got out. And it was a great story about a, a bat boy's dreams come true. And so about a year and a half later, September 1st of 1969, I was called up and was at Dodger Stadium that day and got into Chavez Ravine and found my way to the home clubhouse and went downstairs and was greeted by Nobi Kawana, the great clubhouse man for the Dodgers. He took me to my locker and there was a jersey with number six on it. I looked at Nobi and he said, yeah, he said, you kind of remind me of how Carl Ferrello did. And Carl wore number <laughs> six also, right? Pretty exciting to get a single-digit number as a rookie. You mentioned Michigan State. You wore 24 in football, and your number 10 is retired in baseball. Was there, was there any significance to either 24 or 10? Not really. You know, again, you're assigned, especially in, in uh, college sports, they assign you a, a number. You know, back then, numbers weren't that important to any of us, really. In high school, I wore 14 in football. In baseball, I won number or number three, I believe. Now, favorite numbers, though, were guys like uh, Al Kaline, who ironically was number six. Stan Musial, ironically number six. But that's what sports is all about. I think sports, maybe more than any other profession, uh, is defined by numbers. And whether you, you wear the number or you create the numbers, uh, and I've always said the players are the authors and poets of these great games. This history that we write is is predicated on numbers. And if you wear a certain number for a long time, especially with one team, and create an identity with that team, that's how numbers become indelible with the personality. Well, obviously your number six was, was indelible with the Dodgers and with the Padres. Your number was retired with the Padres. How'd that make you feel? Were you, were you surprised by that? Did it take you uh, off guard at all? Oh, extremely honored. I decided to retire. It was uh, during the collusion era, you know, from 85 to early 90s, and decided this wonderful career. I wouldn't want to linger around if I didn't think my skills were capable of the expectation of the fans. So uh, I got a call from Joan Kroc, Ray Kroc's wife. She said they'd like to retire my number for my contributions to the uh, Padre organization, San Diego, and baseball. And I told her I'm extremely honored. And they had a wonderful ceremony. And you'll love this. It was a beautiful you know, stage set on the field, very portable. And they gave me a Mercedes that night. But the most interesting thing, there was about a 12-foot-long a Mylar balloon made in the number six. So at the end of the presentation and so forth, and you know, some streamers popped up, and this mylar balloon starts to go up you know and it's going up and you know the almost dark evening and it's it's for waving goodbye to me you know oh there goes our <laughs> goodbye we knew him well you know obviously during your career you were such a uh, such a good hitter such an all-around hitter 
a guy that batted in the 300s and hit 100 RBIs and 30 home runs. That was Steve Garvey. You watch baseball now. What's the biggest difference you see to uh, the hitter's approach when they step in? Well, we were taught, if, if you were to look at any of these retro games, which there are a lot of during the pandemic, I mean, maybe that's a big boon to my uh, my fan mail and these millennial kids going, hey, he wasn't too bad a player. He had too many line <laughs> drives, but he wasn't too bad a player. But if you look, everybody's a close stance. Everybody's uh, trying to cover the plate and hitting down through the ball. Whereas now you see a lot of open stances. The guys that are close seem to be better hitters at, at hitting the ball where, the, where it's pitched, understandably. There's now a launch angle as compared to hit down through ball in the outside half, drive it the other way, backspin, use your hands on the inside. Sometimes you'll get up through it or maybe turn it over a little bit. But if you think in terms of right center, left center, I always, when I was at the plate, thought right center so that I was thinking cover that outside part of the plate, use my hands on the inside. And I think that's a big reason why, what I average, 50 strikeouts a year maybe. You know, I wanted to be a complete hitter. In order to do that, you need to hit to all fields, learn how to hit and run, which usually only goes to contact hitters and to be able to, to drop down a button. Speaking of being complete as a player, Steve, the old saw is the best ability is availability, and you played a lot. You averaged over 150 games a year for nearly 12 years. What was the secret to staying on the field and also being productive? I think it starts with passion, and the vehicle to that success was loving the game so that you did everything you possibly could to prepare yourself to play day in, day out. And to be a leader meant that going on the on the field on days where you, you didn't feel that well. I mean, at times I had migraine headaches uh, early in my career, uh, hairline fracture in my finger, hyperextended elbow, pulled hamstring. All these things are, are IL 15 days now. Uh, mm-hmm. But back then, you put cremalgesic on it, that old stuff we rubbed on. You know, it was hot as heck and wrapped it up and you went out there. And, uh, it, you know, I, I wouldn't have gone out, especially for the – National League consecutive game streak of 1,207 uh, games, unless I thought I could I could help the team. You know, if you if you don't think you can use the legs that much, put the bat on the ball, get a get a guy over so you get him in. And I always knew defensively that uh, I was going to be an asset. You know, I wasn't the quintessential six four, six five guy that couldn't play another position but had power. I was five ten, an old defensive back at Michigan State, had pretty good agility and and had this uh, unique skill of digging balls out of the dirt. So. I never had the season-ending injury until my last game where I tore the ligament in my thumb, dislocated on a slide at the plate. So I'd like to think that that, that determination and passion, plus you got to be able to perform, which I did, and you probably got to play on winning teams, which I was blessed to have, you know, our infield, eight and a half years, Baker, Smith, Monday, Yeager, Sutton is 10 years from 73 to 83 of the golden era of the Dodgers was based on true teamwork and and it paid off with four World Series in eight years and the great trilogy against the Yankees and finally an 81 World Championship. The Sports Illustrated Steve Garvey poster sat above my bed for probably four years when I was growing up. And one of the hardest things I've ever watched on TV after the Reggie Jackson three home runs was Reggie Jackson sticking his rear end out on a very key double play. Let's just get it out there, man. They cheated to win that World Series, just like the Astros, correct? Somebody sent me an app, and it's an app that deals with the rules of baseball. And this session dealt with that play. And it was a classic play to analyze in terms of the rules. Just to set it up, Reggie Jackson's at first, short hop towards second or short liner, Billy Russell kind of bobbles it, steps on the bag, throws to me in a direct line. I reach out. Now, Reggie's in front of me. I reach out. Reggie slips over, sticks his hip out, deflects the ball, and it ends up with Thurman Munson going to second and and scoring that inning. Well, the first question was, did Billy Russell intentionally drop the ball, which he didn't. It was a sinking line dive. Number two, as a runner, you can be hit the, by the ball, but you can't go out of the way to interfere with it, which he did clearly. And number three, I can understand Frank Bully, the National League umpire at first, being directly in line, so he couldn't really see Reggie stick his hip towards him. And it was in the shadows, by the way. But the second base umpire, 
after we argued with Frank and I knew that it was useless, I said, well, who saw it the best? And ran over to the American League umpire and he stood there as if, are you kidding? I got to come back to Yankee Stadium. <laughs> I, I'm sweet. I didn't say anything. And he said he didn't see anything. And he was, he said, I just, I was looking at second base. Well, replays show him once Billy stepped on the bag, he also followed the ball, could have easily slain it. And it turned out to be the run that made the difference and gave them a uh, 2-1 lead. And they went on to win the 77 uh, World Series. That's big. I thought he should have been banned. What do you guys think? Right? I think so too. I, I, I wanted to, yeah. I, I, I can't believe they allowed it. I, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned Dusty Baker. What's he doing coaching all these antagonistic teams of the Dodgers? I don't get it. Now he's with the Astros. Well, he has a vineyard. You know, those vineyards cost money. So uh, <laughs> if anybody could actually fill that position this year and do it with dignity and, and advise his players and mentor his players on, on how to conduct themselves, it would be Dusty. Steve, I want to take you back just a little bit. I was 12 years old. It was 1978. I made a night out of you being on Fantasy Island. Please tell me a story from behind the scenes of your episode of Fantasy Island. The plane, boss, the plane. You know, it was a uh, very popular show. It was really a, a group of us with Tommy Lasorda and I think Freddie Lynn, a couple other guys. And we shot one day at a park in, in Los Angeles. And it was actually fun to do. It, it's online. You can see excerpts of it. We had a ball. You know, I had a chance to do a lot of things like that playing in Los Angeles. It was great to play in Los Angeles. When I went to San Diego, it was like uh, resort life living down there. I used to do six interviews a day at Dodger Stadium, and I'd do maybe two in San Diego. And I had an actual a 15-minute pregame show at 6 o'clock at night. That's how laid back it was at Jack Murphy Stadium. So, Steve, you've obviously got a lot of business interests. What is your day like these days? What are the things that are keeping you occupied? What are the businesses that you're involved in? How can people get close to Steve Garvey these days? Well, you know, like I said before, unfortunately, this terrible pandemic in the beginning when we were all locked down, people were looking for ways to re-engage with some of their hobbies, maybe. So my fan mail has exponentially grown to 25, 30 pieces a day. Taper off a little bit now with that doggone baseball on TV, you know. I'm not kidding. <laughs> I've had Garvey Media Group over the last 20 years. We're brand development. If it's a new company, develop their brand moving forward. If it's an existing old great brand, we bring it back to life. So it's really fun to do that. But two companies we started in the last year or so, one is Cadenwood, which is a CBD-infused consumer goods. Our early product line is Level Select, which is an icy, hot type of product. And then we're just finishing now a partnership with Pacific Stem Cells in Newport Beach, California, which is an institute that is doing amazing things with stem cells now. So it seems later in my years now, I'm doing things that are more in the, uh, in the medicinal area to help people and to give quality of life. So those are fun. And normally I would have done 30 plus speeches by now, but because of the pandemic, I think I've done maybe four online. You know, we're trying to make a difference in life. Well, Steve, this has been a great thrill. I I can't tell you how excited we both were when we heard that you were going to do our little podcast. And we're very much appreciative that you spent a little bit of time with us. So thanks very much and best of luck down the road. Guys, thanks so much. You've been wonderful. Uh, Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, talk postseason or spring training. (laughs) Love it. Thanks, Steve. Let's do it. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Our thanks to Steve Garvey for taking the time to chat with Rudy and myself. Rudy, that was pretty cool, yeah? Very cool. Love Steve Garvey, man. He's always a gentleman, you know, just great insight. Love watching him play. And uh, like we said, man, he he looks great. He looks like he could play. <laughs> he really does. Ronce as well. So obviously the 70s Dodgers are mainlining some sort of uh, youth formula. <laughs> they found the fountain of youth or something like that because they all look uh, terrific, which is pretty amazing. But yeah. let's get into the contenders and let's start with baseball. Why don't we? Because Steve Garvey was our guest. We're going to just sort of run through real quickly the honorable mention and sentimental favorites, guys, and not spend a ton of time on this because there are a lot of number sixes in all sports that we should spend some time on. So we're going to really go deep on the contenders and we're going to kind of name check some of the other folks as we go through this. So I'll start with baseball. You know, some of the honorable mention guys, uh, Mickey Mantle, strangely enough, uh, wore number six for a minute there. He came up in 51, uh, hit just 260 was sent down, came back, and they gave him number seven. Number seven, obviously, is the one he made famous. Yep. Another Hall of Famer, Johnny Pesky, for those of you who are Red Sox fans. 
Sal Bando, the captain of the great A's teams of the 1970s. Roy White, switch hitting left fielder for the Yankees for years and years and years. Paul Blair, who played for the Baltimore Orioles from 65 to 76, also won four World Series rings and a absolute bucket of gold gloves. Willie Wilson, who played 19 years and won a very controversial World Series with the Kansas City Royals in 1985. Carl Ferrillo, who was uh, mentioned by Steve Garvey in the interview, wore number six for the Dodgers from 46 to 60. And then other sentimental favorites, Bobby Cox, obviously as a manager, he wore number 14 for two seasons as a player with the Yankees, but really made his bones with managing the Braves and the Blue Jays. He went over 2,500 games. Tony Pena, a great catcher with the Pirates and the Cardinals, uh, a, a hero of mine because he had a super cool way that he knelt behind the plate. Uh, Rennie Stennett, who wore number six for the Pirates in an 11-year career, one of only three players to go seven for seven in a game. Rico Petroselli, which is just a super fun name to say, shortstop and third baseman for the Red Sox in the 60s and 70s. And that is really our list of sentimental favorites and honorable mention guys. Rudy, why don't you lead us off with the contenders in baseball? So appropriately, we have six. I'll start with Joe Torre. We're talking about managers of Bobby Cox. So Joe Torre uh, had a really good playing career. He wore 15 and nine in his 18 year big league career. He's a multiple time, nine time all-star and actually won the MVP in 1971. So he was a great player, but then became probably even more known and a greater manager. I mean, he managed the Mets, the Braves, the Cardinals, the Yankees, the Dodgers, 29-year managerial career. He won four World Series uh, in five years with those great Yankee teams and had his number six retired uh, with a lot of other single digits uh, <laughs> by the Yankees. Two-time manager of the year, and he's a Hall of Famer, man. 2014 inducted in Cooperstown. But that number six, especially that Yankee number six, I, you know, I mean, you, you probably are, are a, uh, affectionately uh, focused on his Cardinal years, but Man, what a great run he had for the Yankees. He's one of the first professional athletes that I ever saw up close and personal. Uh, he signed autographs at a game that I went to with my parents in probably 1974. So it would have been like seven or eight years old. And speaking of the Cardinals yeah. and being a Cardinal homer, Stan Musial, one of the most consistent hitters in baseball history, also my dad's favorite player. He played 22 years all in St. Louis, lifetime 331 career hitter, 3,630 hits, 475 home runs, 1,951 RBIs. He's a 24-time All-Star. And you're probably asking yourself, Tom, if he played 22 years, how could he have been a 24-time All-Star? They used to play two All-Star games a year, and he made them both. He's a seven-time batting champion. He won three MVPs and three World Series. He held or shared 17 Major League Baseball records when he retired in 1963. He's still second all-time in total bases. The Cardinals won the World Series in 1964 with future Hall of Famer that recently passed away, Lou Brock, taking Musial's place in left field. He played until 1963. Uh, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, in 1969, his number six is obviously retired in St. Louis. He has a statue in St. Louis. And if you're a St. Louis Cardinals baseball fan, anybody who's meeting anyone at the stadium says, meet me at the Stan Musial statue. So there's 20,000 people around the Stan Musial statue <laughs> before every game because nobody knows where else to, to meet. But Stan Musial, like I said, my dad's favorite player, and he is certainly a contender on this list. Who else do we have? Yeah, it's awesome and ironic. So my dad's favorite player growing up was Al Kaline, and he's the next guy on our list, Mr. Tiger. He grew up in the Detroit area, so it was easy to be a Tiger fan. Um, played for 22 years, an 18-time All-Star, 10-time Gold Glove winner, and won a batting title in 55 at the ripe old age of 20. Won a batting title at the age of 20. Wow. Was a World Series uh, winner in that fabled Tiger World Series year of 1968. Who'd they beat that year? Uh, I uh, I don't remember. Don't remember. Didn't matter. Doesn't um, matter at all. He hit 379 in that World Series. Finished his career with 3,007 hits and 399 career home runs. Bummer. 399. Yeah, that man. is a bummer. Uh, yeah, was inducted into the Hall of Fame. And his number six was retired in 1980. He died this year at the age of 85. Al Kaline once... Also, famously, if you're a Nolan Ryan fan, remember him coming to the plate with a leg from a 
table that he broke <laughs> apart in the in the clubhouse because no one was hitting Nolan Ryan that day, and he decided to come out to the plate and show him, yeah, man, I'm not swinging anyway. <laughs> so that was a great LK line moment, but great career, and um, yeah, our dads uh, would be proud. Those are two good heroes to have, man. For there sure. you go. Who else is on? Who else is on our list? Yeah, so hopefully up in heaven, uh, Mr. Klanick and uh, Mr. Davis are uh, hanging out and uh, enjoying a little bit of uh, the fact that we're giving some pub to their favorite players. Absolutely. Next on the list is Steve Garvey. We obviously have already talked about Steve and mentioned many of his accolades, but I'll just run through them again real quick. Yep. He wore number six throughout a 19-year career in the big leagues. Number six is retired in San Diego. Not in LA, but in hmm. San Diego. 10-time All-Star, four-time Gold Glove winner, MVP in 1974. So Steve Garvey belongs yep. on the contender list. Who else? Ryan Howard. The great Ryan Howard wore number six for 12 of his 13 seasons with the Phillies. He wore number 12 his rookie year, but grabbed number six soon after. He was a rookie of the year, three-time All-Star, won the MVP in 2006, and won a World Series with the Phillies in 2008. Fastest player in Major League history to reach 1,000 RBIs, 100 homers, and 200 homers. Um, he hit all time uh, 382 homers and is the reason that B.J. Novak's character in The Office is also named Ryan Howard. How about that? Yeah, man? that's cool. That's, that's really cool. But Ryan Howard, great first baseman for the Phillies, uh, really, you know, power guy from the left side of the plate and uh, a dynamic player. We've got one more to round out our six uh, contenders for baseball. Who is that? Tony Oliva is number six. Played 15 years, all in Minnesota. Was Rookie of the Year in 1964, which was the start of eight straight All-Star appearances for Mr. Oliva. A great, great hitter. Won three batting titles. The Twins retired his number six in 1991. He and Dick Allen both missed the Hall of Fame by one vote in 2014. Dick Allen, as we've talked about in this podcast before, should be in the Hall of Fame as well. So that's our baseball list. Rudy, let's move over to football, where there really aren't many contenders, but let's kind of run through at least the rogues gallery of people at number six. Since we don't have really any contenders, we're going to we're going to call all these guys honorable mention. (laughs) Um, No offense. Actually, lots of offense. So (laughs) let's go through it. I'll, I'll name check a lot of these guys. So. We've got uh, the only player in the Hall of Fame award number six is a guy named Benny Friedman, who, by the way, I've never heard of, but that's okay. We got Jay Cutler, who's more famous for a reality show than his very failed attempts to play quarterback. We got Bubby Brister. I don't know why that name comes up. Every time I think of a football number six, that name comes up. Another quarterback, (laughs) Mark Wilson. The very long-necked Mark Wilson, who played eight seasons with the Raiders. Mark Wilson was one of the great BYU quarterbacks. Can you believe Jim McMahon went to no. BYU, by no. the way? I can't believe not? it that, that it happened. That and the stories not. that you hear about Jim McMahon showing up for the first day of practice in a limo, drinking a beer, all that stuff. <laughs> if any of that happened, if any of that is true, it's awesome. But yeah, Mark Wilson you know, started that line of quarterbacks, right? Jim McMahon, Steve Young, Robbie Bosco, yep. Ty Detmer. And number six is retired at BYU for him, right? It is. They retired in 2017. And then you mentioned Robbie Bosco. He wore number six. Did they retire his number two? At number, at I, I think they is just that, retired it right? for everyone who's ever worn number six uh, at, <laughs> at that point. But yeah, Robbie Bosco got into the act as well. Uh, Mark Sanchez. Known, man, he's trying to make it as an announcer and maybe he will, but we're going to always remember him for the butt fumble. Sorry, man. <laughs> so some more uh, honorable mention, fellas. We got Jerome Bettis and Tyrone Wheatley, two Michigan and Notre Dame guys. Uh, Bettis, of course, a Notre Dame running back. Tyrone Wheatley, a Michigan running back. Both wore number six in college. Both were really good, really good in college. Kickers, we've got some six kickers uh, that nobody cares about. Kevin Butler, Rolf Banerska. Ali Hajishik, uh, another former Michigan great, and Joe Nedney. So tell us everything you know about Rolf Banerska, because there's a lot going on there. Yeah, Rolf Banerska, well, first off, he came back from ulcerative colitis, which almost killed him, but also has the distinction of being the only person other than Chuck Woolery and Pat Sajak to host the Wheel of Fortune. 
So way to go, Rolf Benershka. So that is our football list. As I said, a rogues gallery. So Rudy, let's move on to your favorite basketball. And there are some serious contenders on the basketball list. But before we get to them, let's name check our sentimental favorites and our Honorable mention, guys. Let's do it. Honorable mention, guys. We've got some interesting ones. So Patrick Ewing, (laughs) he wore number six for exactly one year, a very forgettable year with the Magic. Niels Johnston, he's a Hall of Famer who wore six for eight seasons with the Philadelphia Warriors. Tom Gola, another Hall of Famer, wore number six for four years with the Knicks. Who are a couple of our sentimental favorites. First off, we have Alfredric the Great Hughes, which is just an absolutely great name, as is Bonzi Wells. Bonzi Wells, if you remember, was a member of the Portland Jailblazers, along with Zach Randolph, Ruben Patterson, Damon Stoudemire, J.R. Ryder, and Rashid Wallace. So that was a fun team back in the day. So those two guys get some mention. But interesting that the honorable mention guys, there are so many Hall of Famers who at least passed through wearing number six. And we're going to get to some guys who not only are Hall of Famers, but maybe define the sport in in some way or another. But Rudy, let's go through the contenders list and just lead us home here. Who do we have first? I'm going to tip off with Bill Russell. I can't can't get any better than that. So Bill Russell wore number six through a 13-year career where he made 12 All-Star Game appearances. When did he not make the All-Star game, man? What happened that year? I have no idea. Um, Yeah, he won 11 championships. Amazing. Five MVPs, four rebounding titles. All, of course, with the Boston Celtics. Overall record in Game 7s is a clean sheet of 10-0. and 10-0. 10-0 in Game 7s, man. Considered the greatest defensive player ever to lace him up. And by the way, won two national championships in college with the University of San Francisco, where his number six is retired. And of course, his number six is retired in the rafters in Boston. Won a gold medal in 1956 and no-brainer, Hall of Famer in 1975, man. Bill Russell is absolutely a no-brainer on everybody's list of top 10 players of all time. He did it well, as did Julius Irving, Dr. J, Hall of Famer, all-time great. He switched from number 32 with the ABA's Virginia Squires and the New York Nets and wore number six when he went to the Philadelphia 76ers. An all-star in all 11 of his seasons in Philadelphia. He won the MVP in 1981 and a championship in 83. Uh, When he got to Philadelphia, number 32 was retired by Billy Cunningham. So he took number six in honor of, wait for it, Bill Russell. Who else do we have on the list? Well, we're talking about defining players. We've got another one, LeBron James. So when he made the big decision to go to South Beach, he also changed jersey numbers. So obviously, number 23 forever decided to go to number six for his four years, his two titles, his two MVPs, and his two finals MVPs with the Miami Heat. He said he changed to honor Michael Jordan and felt number 23 should be retired league-wide. What's he wearing in L.A., by the way? He's wearing wearing number 23. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a good idea. The Heat have actually retired number 23 for Jordan, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. This year, uh, LeBron tried to give Anthony Davis number 23, but the NBA and Nike said, no, 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 no. I always felt six was an odd number for him. It was a successful number for him, obviously, with the with the Heat. But when you got Bill Russell, Julius Irving, and LeBron James on your uh, contender list, we've got some others. But man, those guys—that's that's a mouthful right there. Yeah, let me just clean up the contender list a little bit. These guys are not people who you're going to hear again within this podcast. But Walter Berry deserves at least a name check. Tyson Chandler wore number six, actually, in honor of Bill Russell. He brought a title to your very own Dallas Mavericks there, Rudy, in 2011. Eddie Jones switched from number six in 1997 because the Lakers retired number 25 in honor of Gail Goodrich while he was wearing it. So he said he went with number six because of Dr. J. And immediately he made two of his three career all-star appearances wearing number six. Also, Walter Davis, who had a cool nickname, the Greyhound, wore number 24 at North Carolina, wore number six in a 16-year career with Phoenix, Denver, and Portland, was the 1978 Rookie of the Year. 
and a six-time All-Star. Number six is actually retired in his honor. In hockey, we'll do hockey real quick because there's only two contenders. First, Toe Blake played 14 years in Montreal, five-time All-Star, won the Stanley Cup three times as a player and seven times as a coach, was named one of the 100 greatest players in NHL history. He entered the Hall of Fame in 1966, the year that Rudy and I were born. He's also the coach that tried to convince Jacques Plante not to wear his mask. So we had that story in an earlier podcast. So thank you, Toe Blake, for being just so incredibly thinking about the mask in hockey. Our other contender is Phil Housley, a solid defenseman, played for eight teams over 21 years in the NHL, the second leading scorer among American-born players, and is a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame, was elected in 2015. Rudy, I understand we have at least one NASCAR guy as well. Who do we have? Yeah, we got a legit contender here. Mark Martin, he won 35 races in a really long career, 1988 to 2006, uh, most of that driving a number six valve car. Uh, that's the most wins by a number six in NASCAR history. Second is David Pearson. 27 of his 105 career wins happened with him driving the number six car. But Mark Martin, man, a great, great driver, always a top five guy, big time workout guy, good dude, and, uh, and a great great race car driver. So he's a good contender for our number six. So that's our contender yep. list, Rudy, which means it's time. What time is it? It's time for Screen Stars. Yes, it is. It's time for Screen Stars. And in keeping with the six theme, we are going to have six contenders. But I want to mention two people who are on the honorable mention list. One is Chris Wahlberg. No relation to Donnie or Mark Wahlberg. Chris Wahlberg played Timmy Rawhide Moore in Little Giants from 1994. The other one is more recent, Brett Goldstein, who plays Roy Kent on the TV show Ted Lasso, which is on Apple TV Plus right now. Rudy, this is the best show on TV. And you know that I have a, would you say, strained relationship with soccer? Sure you would. Uh, This is the best show on TV, Ted Lasso. You need to check this out. It stars Jason Sudeikis. It's really, really good. And it has no reason to be as good as it is (laughs) because it's something that's based on a commercial from way back in the day. But anyway, let's get to the contenders on the screen stars list coming in at number six, Arian Foster as Ray Jennings in Draft Day from 2014. That is a terrible movie. Terrible number movie. Five, terrible movie. Uh, let, me add, it, let me add my it, terrible to that terrible movie. Ray Jennings was Cleveland royalty. So take that sentence and that kind of defines the movie. He's Cleveland royalty. What the hell does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God, what a just a just I can't believe the NFL was that was the movie that they decided they wanted to make. It's just just really, really bad. Anyway, number five, Mario Lopez as AC Slater from Saved by the Bell, the television series that everybody grew up on from 1989 to 1992. AC Slater throwing down the number six and playing every sport known to man. Number four, uh, Rudy, you're going to love this one. Yep. Scott Porter as Jason Street from Friday Night Lights, the TV show, 2006 to 2011. I have watched 18 episodes now, Rudy, nice. of Friday Night Lights. <laughs> And I'm still waiting for it to get good. Oh. So you let me know when it becomes otherworldly. Wow. So far, I'm kind of like, I don't know about this. Although I will say there is not a high school in America who has two women who are as hot as Adrian Palicki and Minka Kelly. Coming in at number three is a car. A car. But it was a car driven by the king of rock and roll, Elvis Presley. He was Steve Grayson in the movie Speedway from 1968. The car in the action sequences, as you mentioned, is actually driven by David Pearson. So he comes in at number three playing Steve Grayson in Speedway. Number two, Pete Vukovic as Clue Haywood in Major League from 1989. Pete Vukovic was actually a good pitcher for a couple of years with the Cardinals and a couple of years with the Brewers. And Pete Vukovic played Clue Haywood. Uh, the hated Yankees slugger. And number one, uh, <laughs> number one, James Kahn as Jonathan E. in the movie Rollerball from awesome. 1975. This is a great movie. The remake was absolute garbage. But interesting fact about James Conn, Rudy, also played football 
for a year at yep. Michigan State under Duffy Doherty, not unlike our guest, Steve Garvey. Wow, that's called full circle editing, Tom. Let me get that in there. That <laughs> uh, was nice, man. I love Rollerball, and it is the weirdest freaking movie ever. Go look, go watch that today. I don't know who, what drug they were on when they made that movie, but I only remember, I love Rollerball, but there are some scenes in that movie, really disturbing, man, where they're, they're shooting um, trees with like fireballs for fun, right? Just blowing up trees, just indiscriminately crushing the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, it is the most bizarre view of the future imaginable. Yep. It's just it's just weird and James Kahn's got an afro in the thing and the whole thing. But Jonathan E yep. with the Houston Energy Company, they were solid for sure. They're great. Uh, yep. in the rollerball league. So James Kahn, you are the screen star of note for number six. And that, my friend, is screen stars. Good list. Rudy, let's move on to the Hall of Shame. And rather than have six contenders for the Hall of Shame, we only have one. And his name is Luis Pujols, a Dominican catcher who played nine years for Houston, Kansas City, and Texas. Might be the most unsuccessful number six of all time. He rung up a minus 5.17 war wearing number six for the Houston Astros from 1980 to 1983. He also wore number eight and number 49 and number 53 in his career where he hit a robust 193 and stayed in the lineup because he was excellent defensively. Uh, he was also a coach in the big leagues. He managed the Detroit Tigers for one season in 2002. That year, the Tigers posted a 55 and 100 record. That's a 355 winning percentage for those of you scoring at home, which is the worst of any manager in Tigers history. Luis Pujols is also the cousin of Albert Pujols, who just passed Willie Mays on the all-time home run list. But Luis Pujols, you were terrible. And therefore, you get the Hall of Shame honor, <laughs> as it were. Uh, yeah. Rudy, I understand we have two guys for the Derrick Rose Award. Who are our two contenders there? Well, we do. We've got Ace Bailey, great name, played eight seasons with the Toronto Maple Leafs before his career was cut short in 1933 when Eddie Shore, Mr. Old Time Hockey himself, hit him from behind and ended, ended up fracturing his skull. Jesus. Bailey's number six sweater was the first ever retired in the NHL. And some say it was the first in professional sports. Mm, I don't know about that. He was inducted in the Hall of Fame, in the Hockey Hall of Fame, of course, in 1975. But in a it, skull fracture. I mean, that, like you know, of course, none of those shot. guys were wearing <laughs> yeah, none of those guys were wearing helmets back in the day. But holy yeah. cow, to well, get your skull fractured on. by yeah. be, being hit from behind by Mr. Old Time Hockey, Eddie Shore. That's a tough way to go out for sure. Right. That's terrible. That is terrible. So but Ace Bailey is our number two Derrick Rose Award winner. Sorry, Ace. Number one is Bill Buckner. Man, I even hate talking about this. I love Bill Buckner. He wore number 22, and I really love Bill Buckner. He was a Dodger. Obviously played a long career, a really good hitter, a really good fielder, honestly, for a long time. But he's going to always be known for the ball that went between his legs in the 1986 World Series against the Mets. This hated Mets. Buckner has had such a tough time living with this mistake. He's just going to be known for it forever. It's certainly not fair. I mean, lifetime 289 hitter, 2,700 hits, uh, batting title in 1980. Never could strike that guy out. He never struck out more than 40 times in a season. And, he, you know, here we go. Fourth most assists by a first baseman in baseball history. But it's the one that got away that we've all seen a zillion times in highlights or lowlights. For the Red Sox, but uh, he wore number six during that, so he's our number one Derrick Rose Award winner. Man, we've got some heat check, guys. Uh, yeah, we I'm going to run through um, some of the honorable mentions, just kind of a name check on these guys. Then we can go through. We've got some good ones here. We've got a, a good one here. He's a punter, but he's still a good player. Thomas Morstead. Yeah, he's one of the best punters in the game, man. Uh, he successfully also pulled off the greatest onside kick in Super Bowl history. Starts the second half for the Saints against the Colts. Lorenzo Cain, a uh, excellent, speedy uh, center fielder for the Royals and the and the uh, Milwaukee Brewers. We got Brett Kern. We got Shea Weber, and we got Eric Johnson. You know, we oh, have one more. Ahead. 
Sorry, we have one more on the honorable mention list that I don't think is on your list, Rudy. PJ Walker. Ah. PJ Walker, who set the XFL on fire with the Houston Roughnecks or Oil Derricks or whatever. He's now on the roster in Carolina, backing up Teddy Bridgewater, wearing number six. He wore number 11 with the Houston Drillers or whatever the hell the name hey, of the team was. Be, so he was going to be MVP Walker. of that league. I think he was going toward MVP. Yeah. So uh, good for him. He's playing in the NFL now, a league that will probably be here next year. So that's good. <laughs> well, let's go through the heat checks, man. We got um, we got some good ones. So I'll go first. I'll lead us off with Baker Mayfield. He's like the Robert Conrad of our era. He's the guy with the battery on his shoulder. He's always got a chip on his block. It's always the undersized, gritty plucky quarterback none of those things are true by the way heisman trophy winner now he's with the cleveland browns and hey he's had good games and he's had bad games he also holds the nfl record for most touchdown passes by a rookie congratulations with 27 and we'll see the jury is out on baker mayfield um love him or hate him most people hate him we'll see where he goes from here but uh he's fun to watch play football and he's fun to cheer again next on the list Chris Stapps Porzingis. Chris Stapps Porzingis wears number six because his older brother wore number six. He's worn number six throughout his career with the Knicks and the Mavericks. Was selected fourth overall by the Knicks in 2015. Was an all-star and also made the all-rookie team. He's averaged 20 points and nine and a half rebounds per game this year. Chris Stapps Porzingis is one of the best young players in the NBA. Am I correct on this, Rudy? You are correct. He also has a great nickname. You love nicknames. The unicorn is a phenomenal <laughs> nickname, man. And when you're, you know, seven foot three and can easily shoot three pointers from 35 feet, uh, you are the unicorn. Another number six, DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre is a solid number six for sure. Kind of in the in the mold of a Bill Russell, big time defensive stopper, rim protector, and uh, a good number six. Another number six, I think he's a good guy, but I hate him forever. And he hates wearing number six is Anthony Rendon. It's just a number the the Nationals gave him when he came up. Uh, He wore number 24 in in honor of the great Ken Griffey Jr. And he's made that number his own. He's a World Series champ, beat the Dodgers last year. He's a great player, man. Uh, One of the best third basemen in the game and uh and i hate him forever but he's a number six so who else we got (laughs) uh number five on the list is johnny hecker punter uh, but a four-time pro bowler and a four-time all pro with the rams he also holds the super bowl record for the longest punt 65 yards for the rams so johnny hecker belongs on the list and i'll close it out eric bledsoe who's worn number six with the bucks since 2017 Solid port guard, can score, can defend. How do you feel about Eric Bledsoe? Uh, they overpay him, and it costs him. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's not a guy. He, he's just not enough for Giannis, man. They went down in the bubble, and they shouldn't have. He's been a solid player during the regular season, for sure. And he wears number six that we're talking about him, which is awesome. But what is even more awesome is we have our Hall of Fame list. And we have six guys in our Hall of Fame list, appropriately. Yeah, I like how we did that. Um, Man, let me kick it off with number six, because we talked about him a bunch. We spoke to him earlier. It's Steve Garvey. How could we not have him on our list of the greatest number sixes? The thing I love the most about Steve Garvey is he's the only player to get to start an all-star game when fans wrote his name on an all-star ballot. And he had enough write-in votes that he won the spot on the all-star team that on the all-star game that year and won the the MVP award. How about that? That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, his number six, as we said, is retired by the Padres. Great home run in the NLCS to vanquish the Cubs. Anybody who vanquishes the Cubs is a hero in my book, wearing those cool Taco Bell unis that the Padres had back in the day. Steve Garvey definitely belongs on the list. And he's in at number six. Number five is Phil Housley. At the time that he retired, he had played more NHL games than any other American and had played more games than anyone, unfortunately, without winning a Stanley Cup. But Phil Housley comes in at number five. Who's number four, Rudy? Well, it's the great Al Kaline. First ballot Hall of Famer, went directly from high school to the majors. What a leap. (laughs) And he's the first Tigers in history to have his number retired. He's also the youngest to hit three home runs in a game and win the AL batting title. He did both at the ripe old age, as we said, at 20. So Al Kaline is our fourth 
Three, two, and one. Man, this is a tough one. Who is number three? Number three is Dr. J, Julius Irving, two-time ABA champion, one-time NBA champion with the Sixers. Won one of the most historic dunk contests in the history of basketball, the ABA dunk contest in 1976. When he retired, he was in the top five all-time in scoring, in field goals made and attempted, and in steals. He's currently eighth all-time in scoring. His number 32 is retired at UMass and by the Nets. His number six is retired by the Philadelphia 76ers. Also made Converse the coolest shoe in basketball back in the day and starred as Moses Guthrie, number 35 in The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. So when we get to 35, we get to talk about Julius Irving again. But Dr. J is number three. I'm going to take number two because, again, he was my dad's favorite player, Stan Musial. We've already talked about all the awesome stuff that he did on the field. Let's talk about some of the stuff that he did off the field. Did you know, Rudy, that he missed his age 24 season because he was serving in World War II? He was also the architect, Rudy. Did you know he was the architect of the Cardinals 1967 World Series championship team because he was the general manager? He was also given the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Barack Obama in 2011, which is the highest civilian honor that can be bestowed by the U.S. government. And he hails from Denora, Pennsylvania, the same town that would later produce Ken Griffey Sr. and Ken Griffey Jr. And so how would you like to be Ken Griffey Jr. and be the second best player from Denora, Pennsylvania. That's tough. That's a tough way to go through life. But Stan Musial, the best player from Denora, Pennsylvania, second on our list, truly one of the most unheralded, truly great players in the history of baseball. We only have one more guy on the list, Rudy, who is our number one Hall of Famer for number six. It's none other than Bill Russell, the great Bill Russell, man. Here, here. Champion of champions and on the court, for sure, but also off the court, a real civil rights pioneer. He was actually a, a distinguished guest at the very famous Martin Luther King Jr. I Have a Dream speech in 1963. He, too, was given the Presidential Medal of Freeman, uh, Freedom excuse me, by President Obama. Bill Russell, one of the, one of the greats, he's <laughs> very infectious laugh, by the way. Just a really interesting, interesting character forever. A great player, but afterwards, obviously, he was a coach. He he walked the sidelines for a while. He did some announcing for a while, which was fun. He doesn't do a lot of interviews, but when he does, they're worth it. He's very truthful. And what a great number number six is. And Bill Russell's at the top of this list, but we have a great list. I love it. And uh, and just been fun talking about. This has been a this been a good number. Absolutely, Bill Russell is winning personified. When you have more NBA championship rings than you have fingers. You have done something. 11 championship rings is truly incredible. And Bill Russell, for everything that he did on the court and everything he did off the court, he definitely belongs as our number one, number six of all time. And that'll do it. For this edition of Putting Up Numbers, our thanks again to our boyhood hero, Steve Garvey. Remember, you can get show notes and more at our website, puttingupnumbers.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our little dog and pony show at your first opportunity. We'll be back soon with another edition. Until then, I'm Tom Davis. And I'm Rudy Klinik. And we'll see you next time on Putting Up Numbers.